0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 4, verses 11 to 17 today as we continue our series, Faith That Works, with a message entitled, Pride and Humility.
1: Let's read our text, James 4, 11 to 17. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. What we've just read might seem a bit disjointed. You know, first there's a command against judging, and then the command against taking tomorrow for granted, And then the charge to remember to do our duty. All good commands, but they do seem to have little to do with each other. But with a little thought, we should see exactly what is going on here. Back in chapter 3, James was speaking about two kinds of wisdom. One is the wisdom from above, and the other is the wisdom from below. Christians must learn to resist the wisdom from below because that form of wisdom brings bad things like like selfish ambition, quarrels, fights, unchecked destructive inner passions, and the destruction of our prayer lives. But most of all, and this is James' point, the wisdom from below feeds on pride. In verse 10, we were told, humble yourself before the Lord. So look at those three things that James is bringing our attention to in today's text. Judging others is judging ourselves as superior to others. Pride is the issue. Taking tomorrow for granted is assuming I have power over tomorrow. Pride again is the issue. Neglecting our duty is assuming my desires are more important than my duty. Pride is the issue. What James is showing us in the end of chapter 4 is what pride looks like. Here he says, take a good, close, personal look. This is what pride looks like so that when you see it in yourself, you will know where you're going off the rails. You those of you who are old enough will remember the American boxer Muhammad Ali. Do you remember his famous words? He said, I'm the greatest. And I do think for a while he was. And then he lost to Joe Frazier, and then to Kenny Norton, and then to Leon Spinks, then to Larry Holmes, and lastly, and that was embarrassing, to a little-known boxer by the name of Trevor Burbeck. There came a time when he was great no more, when any capable boxer could clean his clock. You know, here's the thing about being the greatest. If you become that, you'll be that for the briefest moment. You'll chirp on your perch for a second until the next bird comes along and knocks you off. So you might want to remember that when you reach the top. But here's another side of that picture. Most of us never get to be the greatest at anything not at work, not in sports, not in intellectual achievements, not in music, not in any single field of human endeavor. The average person is, you guessed it, average. And by the way, all manner of studies have found that that most of us rate ourselves higher than we are. You know, one study that I'm aware of in which more than one million college students participated, it was found that 85% rated their abilities above the median and 25% rated themselves in the top 1%. Boy, that 1% is crowded, wouldn't you think? But even if we are above average, even if we're very good, we're still not the best. Now, the wisdom from above says, well, God has given me the gifts that I have, and with these I will be content and give him praise. That's wisdom from above. It's peaceable. But the wisdom from below, that demonic stuff, it's restless. It's not content. The green monster known as jealousy and selfish ambition lurks within. We're ambitious for what we aren't, and we're frustrated by what we can't be. Yet our pride is undaunted. We tell ourselves, I deserve better. So in this passage, James asks two very pointed questions. Look at the first question. It's found in verse 12. But who are you? Now, how do you answer that question? Many of us know of no other way to answer that question than to compare ourselves with others. But look now at verse 14. What is your life? Now, these are two questions that deserve a great deal of reflection. I love what the French philosopher Blaise Pascal said about this. He said, knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness makes for pride. Knowing our own wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. Knowing Jesus Christ strikes the balance because he shows us both God and our own wretchedness. Boy, I feel a need to preach the cross right now. But let's get back to what James is telling us. Rather, James is saying that we should try to avoid pride. Let's consider the first of Pascal's statements. Knowing God without our wretchedness results in pride and, and when pride lives in us, we look down on others we soon begin to speak evil of others. That's how verse 11 begins. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. You know, James is warning us of two kinds of sins we commit against our brother or sister. The first is speaking evil. He's referring to slander. So here's our problem. Slander usually refers to saying something about someone that's not true. But it can also refer to saying something that is true, which which we have no right to say. That is, we say it to be malicious. That's why our translators simply translate this word as speaking evil. It can honestly be said that most of the evil things we say about other people are true, that is, according to us. So James adds the word judge in the same verse. Don't speak evil and don't judge. Here's the problem. No one is free of judgment, nor should we be. You know, I received an email some time back from a person who was involved in sin in her own life. Now, I didn't know her, but she told me about her sin in her letter, and then she quoted Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. You remember 1 Corinthians 5? There Paul calls on the church to judge and to remove an unrepented man from their fellowship. You remember John seven twenty four? There, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, he commands us to judge. So from the wider scriptures, we do know that we are called upon to judge on numerous occasions. We also know there's a wrong judgment and there's a right judgment. So let me suggest that the Bible prohibits at least three kinds of judging. First, we are repeatedly told not to judge someone's motivation. We judge a person for being, let's say, arrogant or envious or miserly or greedy. And when we say that, we don't know that to be true. See, we can't see into a person's heart, and therefore judgment about a person's heart is evil. That's judging by appearances, and that's wrong. Second, we're told not to judge a behavior that the Bible doesn't condemn. You know, I remember once someone telling me that, that a pastor shouldn't ride a motorcycle. And, and my response was, well, thanks for sharing. And then I started up my bike and I enjoyed a great ride. You see, I won't submit to that judgment. Well, third, we should not condemn someone on the basis of what we hear. That has to do with trading rumors. You see, some of us believe every evil thing we hear about another. We haven't observed it, but we love to judge someone on the basis of the perception of others. That also is evil. So notice what James says. Do not speak evil of someone. Don't repeat stuff that is not yours to repeat. Again, let me quote Pascal. Few friendships, he says, would survive if each one knew what his friend is saying behind his back. It does make one wonder. Not only when you've spoken evil of your friends, but when you wonder what they've said about you. And it is evil. You know, James wants to tell us that this kind of talk is premised on human pride. Pride is speaking evil of others and declaring ourselves to be superior. Now, says James, when we do that, we do more. According to James, when we speak evil of others, we speak evil against the law and we claim to judge the law. Well, how so? I think in two ways. First, when we speak evil against a brother, we're violating the law. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament forbid this kind of behavior. We're lawbreakers when we act in this way. But secondly, when we speak evil against our neighbor, we are in fact picking and choosing which command we want to obey. We become judges of the law by considering some laws unworthy of our obedience. Those laws don't apply to me, I'm above that. So pride is speaking evil of others in declaring ourselves superior, and also pride declares our opinions to be more significant than the Word of God. It's saying, I and my opinions are weighty, and on the other hand, the Word of God is insignificant. We then, says James, claim to have become judges of God's law.
0: You know, there's certain sensitive topics some of us tend to avoid discussing, even with our loved ones. Money is definitely one of those. But since the Bible certainly does not shy away from discussing the matter of money, then neither should we. That's why we're so excited to share with you our newest resource called 10 Questions About Money Matters. It's a short booklet based on Dr. John's audio series, God and Money and it will help you address financial issues from a biblical perspective. We're confident this resource will provide financial guidance, helping us to become better stewards of the resources that God has graced us with. We're thrilled to offer you this booklet for free for the whole month of August. To request your copy or to offer a gift to support the ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: In verse 12, James asks a very significant question. Who are you? Or just who do you think you are? That you think yourself more significant than God. So look again at verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Yes, indeed, who are you? Well, that's something that we should meditate on. Don't move on too quickly. And James is not done. In order to help the proud man to think of how he or she is overestimating himself or herself, well, he says, let me take you to the next level. See, verse 13 reads, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, let's be clear. There's nothing wrong with trading and making a profit. And there's nothing wrong with long-term planning. I don't know about you, but if I didn't write things down on a calendar, I don't think anything would get accomplished. I plan my sermon series. All those years in pastoral ministry, I would plan staff meetings, and then we would plan together many times well over a year in advance. And furthermore, both my wife and I planned what we would do when our children left home. And we planned and we continue to plan what we will do when we retire, what kind of finances we need to have available, how much we need to save. I'll bet you do the same. And if you're not, you might want to reconsider. If you have a business, planning is essential. If you have kids, it's a basic survival skill. If you're a student, might I suggest get all of your assignments on a calendar and then plan your whole semester knowing what you've got to accomplish at any point in time, and I'm going to promise you, you're probably going to get a good grade. Now, some of you will say, "I I didn't know that. Well, it's amazing what you get by just listening to this program, wouldn't you say? Now, there's nothing wrong with planning and everything right with planning. So what is James after? Look at verse 14 yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, and oh, by the way, did you notice that James has just provided you with the answer to the previous question of who are you? Well, now you know you're a mist. See, we live somewhere between 70 to 95 years, unless of course a bolt of lightning hits you or a car, or you get a form of influenza that knocks you off in 24 hours or you have a heart attack, or someone shoots you, or, you know, for all the hypochondriacs out there, let me say, you guys are right. And by the way, you know what it says on a hypochondriac's gravestone. It says, I told them I was sick. God has so many ways of taking you out of this world. He doesn't have to resort to a miracle to do it. You're a unit failure. You're ready to fail. Here's what James is doing for us. It's one thing to plan for tomorrow. It's quite another thing to count on tomorrow. Look again at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I'd like to revive a tradition that Christians used to have around their future planning. We used to add the phrase of all future events, Lord willing. You know, Christians would say, the Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow. Or let's commit ourselves to this plan, Lord willing or here's my plan for retirement, or my plan to survive this semester in university, Lord willing. You know, add that phrase to everything we plan, it's a reality check. But somewhere along the line, we forgot that. There was a theology around for a period of time in which Christians were discouraged from praying, Lord, if it be your will. And we were told that's not faith. You ought to pray, Lord, I'm I'm claiming that business deal or that house I want or that plan I'm making. But listen, That's not faith. That's presumption. Listen to James. You might claim that house, but you might slip on the soap in your shower and be dead before nightfall. What motivates us to leave the phrase, Lord willing, from our language? I think the answer is pride. Pride is not only speaking evil of others, making ourselves superior to them. No, it goes further. Pride is presumptuousness. It's making assumptions about the future that you and I ought not to make. Pride is arrogant, rash statements about what will happen, assuming we will always be there to fulfill them. But when we say that, we're parading our ignorance. You know, I did a little study on the internet and made a list of some of the famous people who died suddenly in the last decade. Well, here in Canada, it was Jack Layton. You know, the New Democratic Party was brought into prominence by his leadership, and then suddenly he died of cancer. Steve Jobs died of cancer at 56. Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist and the author of God is Not Great, died at age 62. Famous actor Paul Walker, star of the Fast and Furious films, at age 40, died in a single car crash. In despair, Robin Williams took his own life. Singer-songwriter Prince died unexpectedly at 57. And perhaps, if I can say it this way, the most ironic is the death of Aaron Trawick. He died at the age of 28. He was a life extension activist. And here's a fact. You don't have tomorrow. Those of you who are putting off your conversion until tomorrow, you're presuming on something that is not yours. Your life is a mist. Embrace that. There is more. Pride is presumptuousness in assuming we are the masters of our own lives. It's not just that we might not be alive tomorrow. You know, another thing I can't anticipate is what will happen tomorrow if I live. See, the person James is speaking of in verse 13 is the person who assumes he will spend the next year trading and making a profit. He's assuming that he can do what he sets his mind to do. He knows his plans will succeed, but they might not. Here's a little exercise. Think back on the last five years of your life. Ask yourself, what happened during those five years that I didn't anticipate? Then ask this question. Do I think the next five years will be more predictable than the last five? Many of you assume they will be. Yeah, we'll project into the future. But as Niels Bohr, the Danish physicist, said, prediction is difficult, especially about the future. You may think that you're the master of your life, but you're not. Now, for our last presumptuous act, we're presumptuous in assuming that we can succeed if we want to. See, all that stands in the way, we say, is my effort. You know, think again about the phrase, if the Lord wills. Have you yet come to the place that everything in your life, from the largest to the smallest, is all subject to the permission of God? If God says no, it's not going to happen. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, at first glance, verse 17 seems unnecessary. You might say, James, I get your point. Judging others and taking tomorrow for granted, that's pride. I must learn humility. But failing to do my duty, that's a matter of sloth or poor discipline or even procrastination. But really? Pride? you know Bible teachers have struggled with this verse. Does James mean to teach us that it's our duty to be humble about the command regarding speaking evil and planning our future? Or is he giving us a separate command? Another place where pride seeks to raise its ugly head. Well, notice the first word in verse 17. It's the word so or therefore. You know, from James' perspective, the reality of verse 16 naturally gives rise to what he says in verse 17. Since verse 16 is true, therefore, verse 17 naturally follows. So what does verse 16 say? It says, You boast in your arrogance. You remember that Paul says much the same in Galatians 6:14. He writes, "But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world." So it turns out that boasting about anything we have done was considered a very great sin in the early church. Both James and Paul condemn it. Peter does as well in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 18. So how does James 4:17 relate to what we've said? Well, quite simply, it is the duty of all of us to humbly approach everything in life, our relationships, our accomplishments, our considerations for the future. It's our duty to deflect from ourselves and constantly point towards God. If there's anything that should mark the people of God, it's humility. After all, we don't worship ourselves, we worship another. We believe that it is God who is all in all. You know, today, if you're speaking evil of another Christian, you have a duty to quit and to begin to speak well of them. If you're presuming on tomorrow, you have a duty to begin to say and to think, if the Lord will. And if you're tempted to forget these lessons, you have a duty to remember. Let's remember that pride is the anti-God principle, and humility allows us to embrace the life of faith.
0: John, I can honestly look back on my life and say, you know, there's things I said to some people at some point that I'm not very proud of. Uh, But I hear you saying today, it's not enough simply to say, I won't do that again. We really do have to revisit it. Do we have to make it right? You know, this thing on making it right
1: is a really
0: important question. I think we
1: need to make right those things that have actually wounded someone. You know, you and I have heard of individuals who say, I've thought badly of you or I've, you know, and, and, and the person... Um, that we thought badly of didn't know that, and now we come and dump that on top of everything else, and and suddenly they feel wounded, whereas before they would not have felt wounded. I think that we need to try to make right all those things that somebody else has become aware of. Uh, and and if they haven't become aware of it, then maybe we need to go to the people that we've you know that we've, you know, slagged someone to and say to them, you know, I've
0: acted unrighteously when I've
1: talked about so-and-so. so and so. So I think those are important issues.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again right here tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The Back to the Bible Canada blog page has recently seen some exciting changes. So in addition to Dr. John's blogs, will now be having regular monthly blog contributions from special ministry guests and friends of the ministry. So make sure to receive the Back to the Bible Canada Dr. John and Company blogs each week by signing up for our audio mail or download our Back to the Bible Canada app or just visit backtothebible.ca every week. Timely, interesting, biblical perspective sharing thoughts about faith, life and culture with the Bible at the very centre. To check out the Dr. John and Company blog page, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 for more information. And remember to ask for your free ministry resource, 10 Questions About Money Matters, during the month of August.